0: Yes, I can speak. Hello guys, so now we are back with a new episode. So uh, this topic today is going to be... Uh, hard uh, because we're going to p- talk about like uh, the historical uh, evolution of um, rape as a weapon of war. So it's going to be hard, but I think it's really important to talk about it, as we said before, it's part of the recognition and the memory movement. Uh, so we hope that you will learn a lot uh, from this and that we actually like uh, bring some light uh, on uh, historical events and uh, current events that are happening right now. So um, during the interview, uh, Christine Levy said the phrase that we really want to talk about and develop in this podcast. So she said that the importance of studying the specific narrative of comfort women is that it's allowed to start studying and giving interest to the memories of war and particularly on how memories of war are gender. So that is why this topic is so interesting Interesting to be uh, studied uh, as a history object, and so that really helps us to like understand how our gender and um, see how the past and the present are related. So now we're going to discuss that.
1: Yeah, I really, really liked this quote as well, and I found it really striking as well. And unfortunately, such events of domination or exploitation exist in other historical contexts. So it's not for, only for the comfort woman, but it has happened so many times before, and I'm afraid it will happen again. Um, some scholars often refer to the idea that rape is of conflict, but a pre-planned and deliberate uh, military strategy. Um, and so as uh, Mrs. Zainibar Awab Bangura, uh, who is actually a UN special representative on sexual violence, and so uh, he, she said that sexual violence in conflicts need to be treated as the war crime that it is, it can no longer be treated as an unfortunate collateral damage of war. Therefore, we will look at several cases to see how they echo uh, with each other and Uh, which uh, we will highlight the specificity of comfort women and see what consequences this event has in the present. Um, We're going to work in a historical order so that it's easier to follow Sorry, And uh, let's never, ever forget, as we always say it, that the past is omnipresent, constantly being read and reinterpreted in the light of current issues and conflicts.
0: Yes, so uh, the use of rape as a weapon of war is really not a new phenomenon, uh, unfortunately, and even seems as an historical unescapable pattern. So we can even go back to ancient Greece and uh, ancient Rome, where rape of women in warfare were already a way to terrorize, destroy, and punish communities, or even further to change the ethnic ethnic makeup of the next generation. So it was said that rape was socially acceptable behavior while within the rules of warfare. So now we are more than 10 centuries uh, later, and the problem still exists and has remained mostly unpunished. So for centuries, sexual violence in conflict was tacitly accepted as unavoidable. But the last century is experiencing some changes concerning the impunity of such behaviour. So we will see two particular landmark cases of conflicts where sexual violence was a weapon of war. So we will look uh, at the example of the Bosnian War, which uh, took place in 1992 to 1995, uh, which is a really international armed conflict that took place in Bosnia and Herzegovina and that really participated in the breakup of Yugoslavia, as you all know. And then we'll look at the Rwanda genocide that occurred in 1994. And so we also uh, have a really important um, discussion on what is happening right now, uh, for example, in Republic Democratic of Congo. Uh, so now let's look at these two examples and learn from them.
1: Yes, so exactly. I'm going to start by talking about the Bosnian War. Uh, it concerned up to sixty thousand women victims of, se- of sexual violence in the former Yugoslavia. So this is a huge number. Um, two important reasons to study this case um, in um as a field, in sorry, in the field of gendered memory of war, are that firstly, this war has a major legal significance and influence. It was the first time that the UN Security Council was involved concerning rape in armed conflicts. So we see that it has a huge impact and it's a, it's a huge deal. Um, indeed, in December of 1992, the Council declared that the massive, organized and systematic detention of rape of women, in particular Muslim women in Bosnia and Herzegovina, uh, was an international crime that must be addressed. So it's not just a mistake, it's it real crime, and that's, that was the first time it was recognized as such by the UN. And so also uh, the International Criminal Tribunal for the former Yugoslavia uh, in 1993 considered rape as a crime against humanity, alongside other crimes such as torture and extermination when committed in armed conflict and directed against a civilian population. So it really echoes the case of the Comfort Women. This was a crime, a, com- a crime of war. Uh, despite what the Japanese government says. And so the code also expanded the definition of slavery as a crime against humanity to include sexual slavery. Previously, first labor was the only type of slavery to be viewed as a crime against humanity. and the trial of Bosnian Serb army members, such as, for example, Dragoljub Kurnak, was the first time in any national or international jurisprudence that a person was convicted of using rape as a weapon of war. So, uh, secondly, why this case is so important when we talk about gender uh, war studies uh, is that historians describe the sexual violence in the Bosnian war as a tool for ethnic cleansing and uh, achieving a pure nation. That's why they would use rape camps with the specific intent of impregnating their victims. It's really, really important to acknowledge that indeed. It is a strong connection between the past and the present. We talk here, in this case, about intergenerational trauma that are carried on after the end of the conflict due to the children. Um, It is also important to take it into consideration because the children born uh, from these historical events face stigmatization, abandonment, and rejection by the community, barriers to legal citizenship and land rights, and are prevented from accessing formal health, education, and employment system.
0: Yeah, so that's like we can see that the Bosnian War was a really landmark um, conflict because it really influenced how the legal system reacts to uh, rape as a weapon of war. So it is the same for the Rwanda genocide, so between the Tutsi and the Hutu, uh, which was extremely violent. So um, the number, like as usual, are really hard uh, to uh, be precise because it's a topic that is really hard uh, to know, like who uh, was raped and like how the um, the impact was uh, during the war, but we say that between uh, there is between 100,000 and 250,000 women that were raped during the three months of the genocide in 19, 1999. So, uh, why this is important uh, to study this case is that in 1998, the International Criminal Tribunal for Rwanda, established by the United Nations, made landmark decision defining. genocidal rape. So that's the first time that we acknowledge the fact that genocidal rape exists. So in 1998, uh, this international criminal uh, tribunal became the first international court to find an accused person guilty of rape as a crime of genocide. And so behind these horrific events, the mass rape during 1999, according to Amnesty uh, International, uh, contributed significantly to the spread of the HIV in Rwanda because, the sexual bi- because of the sexual violence, and so there is evidence that proves that the perpetrators intentionally infect the victim with the disease, which in turn makes diseases like HIV and uh, AIDS their own weapon of war. So we can see that there is a really strong link between the past and the present because these people uh, were infected by this virus and this virus was in itself a weapon of war.
1: So yes, uh, these two cases are actually very, very uh, interesting and useful, and we can draw several conclusions from them uh, that can help us understand also the issue of comfort women. Um, so we found a quote by Gerda Learn, um who uh, actually summarizes pre- uh, pretty well the conclusion that we can draw from these historical events. And so Gerdalen says that the practice of raping the woman of a conquered group has remained a feature of warfare and conquest from the second millennium before Christ to the present. It is a social practice which, like the torture of prisoners, has been resistant to progress, to humanitarian reforms and to sophisticated morals and ethical considerations. But it's important to note that even if rape is still a very uh, current issue that has not be- been solved, uh, there are some little evolutions in the justice made for the victims with the development of the prosecutions of rapists in war um, in war crime tribunals and the growing awareness uh, of the international communities and administrations. And so, uh, many victims have claimed for compensation and ask, for example, the court to decide about um how how they should do to compensate and repair for the for the damage that was that was made and actually uh, many trials uh, took place and uh, and uh, justice was made for several um several sexual crimes but even though some justice was made we have to remember that judicial truth is not at all the same as historical truth and it's not equal and we still need to make up for the historical uh, perspective and we can't only rely on the judicial system for
0: such crimes. Yes, definitely, Like recognition uh, is really important and uh, the judicial and justice is taking a stand on that, but there is still uh, the memory that that needs to be made uh, in the public and in the population and uh, not only in the country where uh, the uh, acts were made, but also everywhere. And so uh, what we can also take from this example uh, is to see and understand the particularity of comfort women. So uh, the difference is really uh, the specificity of the scale and how well organized it was as we saw in precedent um, episode, like the really uh, machine and engineering uh, that was made behind uh, this fact of uh, using rape as a weapon of war, and so the horrific number of women forced to participate in this camp, and also the involvement of so many countries. Uh, so we can see that it's really important because, like the cases were just before before, uh, it's less important because here, like we really have women that were taken from other countries to participate uh, in this uh, action. And so, uh, to finish this podcast uh, with your friend, we really wanted. Uh, to um, make honor to Denis Mukwege, which is uh, the receiver of the Nobel Prize in 2018, and so he received it, uh, I quote, for his effort to end the use of sexual violence as a weapon of war and armed conflict in the Republic Democratic of Congo. Uh, so we can see that there is hope to end this unspeakable pattern of warfare and violence but we definitely, and we need to learn from history. So now we just uh, give you a little uh, moment uh, of uh, Mukwege's speech, which is really inspiring. So I let you enjoy this moment. Oh, the speech is so good. Today, I can see that things are changing a lot. Women now are breaking silence. They are becoming the actors of the change in their own society. This is really giving me a lot of hope. One day, we can shift the shame from women to perpetrators. And when this will happen, I'm sure that this question will be solved. My dream, I imagine really a war without rape as a weapon of war. Okay, so now on these really inspiring words, as I said, uh, we'd like to introduce the next podcast, which is going to be on a completely different topic. And uh, of course, we hope that you really enjoyed this one. It is a really important uh, topic that needs to be acknowledged, that we need to really discuss about in order to make uh, the history different for the next generation. So the next podcast... So the next podcast is also going to be really interesting. So literature is not only a source, but also a laboratory for thinking about the past. So that's what is really interesting. And so in the next podcast, we talk about arts and how uh, they have the power to build heritage and call for public and scholars awareness. So that's why the next episode is going to be on an animated movie called Her Story that we develop why it's called like that and you will see it's really interesting. And so uh, before watching and listening to the next podcast, we really invite you uh, to watch this animated movie. I repeat it, it's called Her Story. It's a 10-minute clip uh, that will uh, help you uh, enjoy the last podcast. Thank you for listening sing to us and we hope you enjoy it
1: yeah thank you